And she worked with uh, Paul Simon. She won a Grammy, I think, a couple of Grammys when, when she was overseas. But yeah. just a little brief history. Why do you love her stuff? You've worked with her. You've produced some stuff for her. Tell us about the lady. You know, you know uh, Miriam was one of those very humble. She was always motherly. You know, when I, 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 uh, I went to, I was signed to Virgin Records. And I had to record an album in Brussels. Little did I know that she lived in Brussels and she was told that there were all these South Africans. I had met Miriam in, in uh, Lesotho in 1980 when they came down with Huma Sikela and very um, gracious, you know, and uh, elegant and, of course, and on a loose side a bit, you know, there mm-hmm. was all this aura about her. But, of course, the Beatles, Harari, were, were the rock band of, of of the time. So we had to be part of the gig that we did with them and Hugh Masekela. And, and most of the crowds that we pulled there knew that we were going to play and they came. These were the young people now that, you know, that knew Harari. And... um so when we went to Brussels to record an album for Virgin Records, we heard that she was in town and she lived in Brussels. Of course, Marvin Gaye lived there as well. And the same studios that we're recording, uh, Marvin Gaye had recorded. This is where he actually recorded uh, one of his hits. And Miriam came to the studio. Oh, I had asked her to come and visit us in the studio. Of course she came. And guess what? She came. She comes there with two big pots of food <laughs> you know, to come and feed the children of my country, as she would say, you know, her children. And she loved cooking. And she would come to the studio almost daily with, with, with the pots, you know, to cook for us. You know, because she just felt that the food that we were eating were not really South African food and <laughs> it was not tasty. And she had this thing called the mazi pepper, the chili that she, you know, uh, uh, made. And um, once I recorded the album, there was a song special. So she said to me, why don't you write a song for me? I said, Mazi, I write a song for you. I said, yes, write a song for me. I was sweating. <laughs> I thought, no, Miriam cannot be serious. I mean, Miriam could work with anybody. There was Hugh, there was Caiaphas, there was Quincy Jones. 
the best producer she could think of. And here I was, I come from Soweto, and she asks me to write a song for her. And I used to work out. I used to run a lot every morning. Was, and in my mind, I kept thinking, what am I going to write about? And I, I was jogging at this park, and a song came. And I said, the only way I can is to write a love song, but a love song between myself and my mother, you know? And this is what the song that I could do with for Miriam. I went back to the studio and I started playing the piano and I wrote a song called Mama. And she came in. She belted it. And after I recorded the song, she said, now I want you to produce an album for me. I said, Marcy, you're not serious. No, you, you can't do this to me. She says, yes, please produce an album for me. And we recorded an album called Welela. Welela was probably one of the first, probably one of the few albums that she, that would go gold, platinum. And uh, she just loved working with me. And then we created a great relationship. I've got pictures of us having to go to a house. But what was even said, it was when I was leaving. You know, it was around 1988-89. And the first thing she said to me, do you think we'll ever come home? I said, Mazi, yes, you will come home. And she, and of course, you also came from New York to join us to play trumpet on the album. And uh, both of them walked, you know, took me to the, uh, to the airport. That was also one of the most painful memories for me, you know, because um, he was going to New York, Miriam was staying behind, and I knew they wanted to come home. And uh, I said to them, what would you like me to say when I go home? Just tell our people we love them. Maybe someday we'll come home. And I said, you will. And I was crying because she was also crying. And I could see that he also wanted to cry. And I wrote, I wrote a song, that refugee come home. And the rest was, when she came home the first time, the first person she wanted to meet at the airport was, I want to see Sipo. So I had to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to get to the airport to to meet her. It was such an, an an emotional meet because Miriam had not been home for well over thirty years, mm -hmm. and of course her mom had died. She was never able to bury her, and we had to make all the arrangement to take her to her mother's grave. It was such an emotional experience, but for her to be home was one of those. Great, great moments. While you were there, did Miriam and you ever speak about living in exile and what was going on in their own country and the political side of things? I know you you don't like politics very much, and I so I I'm, do, I do, I do. <laughs> we will I do get, as long as they make sense. Yeah, not on yeah. Twitter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but in that, did they discuss that? Because they wanted to come home and they weren't allowed to come home. You know, it must have been their families here, their friends, and everything, and uh, that loneliness. Uh, you you know, must have seen it in their eyes. Bunny, I mean, Anybody who's never really been 
out there. I went to Brussels to go and work. I didn't see any, besides Miriam, there was nobody else that I, I knew that I could relate to. And this was three weeks. That was enough to drive me insane. Because what was even worse is that I never, I never saw black people. You know? And I think at some stage I saw one guy who was just walking across the road and I, for a moment, I wanted to greet him in Sesotho. I said, and this guy came from Gambia. All this, this was high, how's it? You know, I think he spoke in French or something like that. So I was actually going crazy. And I still believe that people, you know, people should have come home and got counseling from that painful, you know, experience. I mean, I was away for three weeks. So you can imagine being away from home for 30 years, sure. what it did for you. A sacrifice, eh? The, um, let's talk a bit about politics. Um, uh, growing up in the 80s, 70s, 80s, um, you know, the atmosphere, I mean, the, the, the curfews at night, um, the police, the brutality, the, the, the situation in, that, in those days. I mean, I, I went to a nice school, I had a nice house or whatever, and there you were down the road from me. Mm-hmm. And you weren't allowed to come to my house, or because I remember you weren't even allowed to come to my church. You know things like that happen, and and we also saw that as white people, mm-hmm. and the benches, uh, whites only. I mean those things hurt us as well. And how did you feel at that stage? I mean, it, the friends around you, the people, your white friends that you had. What was it, what what, it, what went on in your mind at that stage? Were you going to become an activist, or you know l- let's create a war revolution, or being a musician, was it easier for you to accept or what? Um, I think the whole thing makes everybody angry. I was just as angry as ever. You know, it was, I always tell people that people think apartheid was just about separation of uh, amenities. Barney and Friends. Barney Simon. Jacaranda FM.